Uh, we're going to be in Colossians 2 tonight. We've been going over, um, again, the topics on uh, contemporary. And uh, tonight's going to be a little bit more broad. Um, and I want to talk about uh, the topic of humanism. And it's become so uh, pervasive in uh, not only in our culture, but it's crept into our churches. And uh, I want to just talk about that a little bit on uh, Garden ourselves. And, uh, and as we approach many of these, what we've been calling um, uh, hot topics or contemporary issues uh, that are in our, facing our society today, our culture today, we want to make sure that we have that standard of the scriptures. Now, we did, I did a message on that, on uh, what is our absolute authority and where does that come from. But uh, we have to make sure that not, you know, we can have the right textbook answer. And that is, you know, of course, God's word is true. Uh, God's word is pure. You know, all those passages that, that, uh, that declare that. But if we don't yield ourselves to it, we will fall into philosophies of this world. Look at Colossians 2 and uh, verse number 6. Colossians 2 and verse number 6, it says this, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, here's the caution, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of, this, of the world, and not after Christ. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us tonight, that every one of us here would be on guard from this, um, uh, this worldly philosophy of humanism, how it's so crept in even to our approach to God, uh, our approach to the Scriptures. Lord, I pray that we'd be uh, so on guard and so discerning that, uh, that we would check our own spirit, check ourselves when we find ourselves slipping into this trap, uh, maybe because of, uh, of uh, entertainment out there or coworkers or just various influences in our lives. Uh, help us, Lord, to make sure that, uh, that the Scriptures really are our standard and our authority. And, um, and we give you the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there's really a, a danger out there lurking among us. Uh, it's crept into many churches, it's crept into many homes, and, uh, and it's really, it's caused believers to become apathetic to the Word of God. It's caused us to become indifferent in many, many ways. Churches have, been, ha, ha, have, have kind of lost sight of that foundation of Jesus Christ, have lost sight of that, that anchor, that, that, um, that stability that they have in what they were founded upon. And everything's become very relative. Everything's become, you know, uh, all over the place. We can go church to church today. Uh, we can step into all these different places that called themselves churches. And we can start analyzing how lined up are they with the Scriptures, right? And I'm not saying that in a sense of judgmental, like, you know, oh, we're, we're, we're more in line than you are. But, but you really start to see how far from the standard, how far they've drifted from, from true north, so to speak. Uh, and... Um, uh, and, and drifted into, into these other areas of, of really reflecting more of the world than of, of God himself, right? And we're seeing it today in things that was really understood within Christianity as, uh, as let's just call it, an ab- abomination that are now being praised and celebrated even within churches. I shared with you um, uh, years ago when we were in California, there was a young man in our church who uh, was having open-heart surgery, and, um, and uh, I went with his family down uh, to Los Angeles, where they were having the the surgery done, they have the you know child a children's specialist there and and all that stuff and and we were there and I remember after he was released from the hospital and and uh, we were heading out of there, it was amazing down in Los Angeles, California. Uh, we would go by church after church, flying rainbow flags 
signs that say, you know, we celebrate diversity, inclusivity. Now, now those all sound nice. Doesn't it sound wonderful? You know, ah, diversity. You know, we like diversity. We like all those kinds of things, tolerance, these kinds of words. And, uh, but, but, but they're actually saying something that they're not saying. Right? And we understand that what they're saying is, you know, uh, everyone else are bigots. And, you know, we're, we're, we're really what they're saying at the end of the day is you can come here in your sin. No one's going to say anything. And you're going to be celebrated. You're going to be praised. You're going to be accepted. And, um, and that's what we have going on here. Why? Because we've somehow lost view of where our standard comes from. What is the standard? What is that, 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 that point of... Um, uh, of measurement, if you would, that we would uh, that we judge everything by. By the way, as believers, we are to judge righteous judgment. We are to judge all things. We are to bounce things off of the Scripture and find out where things land. And so, as we as we lead our homes and we lead our families and and even we 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 live in this culture and this society, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that the Lord wants from us, and what is uh, how should we view these kinds of things that are coming at us? By the way, did you know, in order to tolerate something? You have to disagree with it by definition. Do you know you don't have to tolerate things you agree with? Because you agree with them. See, we're changing definitions. The world's not wanting us to tolerate. The world's wanting us to affirm and to celebrate. And, uh, and I'm sorry. I can live peaceably, peaceably with my neighbor in his sin, but I can't celebrate his sin. I can't affirm his sin. You see what I'm saying? And, um, and what we've done is we, we, well, let me get into kind of, I think, why, how we've drifted here and how we've veered here. So what is humanism and how, how is it actually affecting our homes, our churches, our nation, uh, the society around us? Uh, really what, what it is, is it is a, it's a philosophy that rejects both religion and, the superna- and supernaturalism. It rejects the existence of God and concerns itself only with the state of humanity in this life. Uh, so in other words, humanism, it only deals with material. It only deals with, uh, with this life, the here and now. One of the most popular books in the religious category in recent days is a, is a book, uh, you hear me reference it often, um, uh, Your Best Life Now. Your Best Life Now, Joel Osteen, right? Can I tell you, for the Christian, if you are truly saved, if you're really born again, your best life is not now. By the way, no matter how good this life is, your best life is not now. Your best life is to come. For the lost person, this is the best it's ever going to get. But for the saved person, this is the worst it's ever going to get. Your worst day on this earth is the worst it's ever going to get, folks. We have, we have uh, heaven to look forward to. We have, uh, we have eternity to look forward to with our Savior. And what I'm saying is we get so caught up in the here and now, we get so caught up in this life, and we'll fall into the trap. This is the trap that Demas fell into. Remember Paul talked about his companion Demas? He said this, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And the, and the phrase that is translated as present world is, uh, is, is uh, the, the Greek word where we get the word eons, which is referring to time. He wanted to live for the here and now. It's about now. It's about this life, not the hereafter. And so, and so if we're not careful, even in churches, we lose sight of the fact that, uh, that there is an eternity. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And yes, you are saved. Praise the Lord if you are saved. If you're born again, you've got, uh, you've got that. But can I tell you, there's also a judgment seat of Christ. Where, where, we will, uh, 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 where he's going to assess the things that we've done for him, for the glory of God, and, uh, and uh, the things that are done 
in the flesh uh, are things done for ulterior motives or whatever will be burned up as wood, hand, stubble. And the things done to the glory of God will come through as, as gold, silver, and precious stone. And, uh, and there are going to be uh, crowns, if you would, to lay at Jesus' feet. And we lose sight of a lot of this stuff. And, uh, and so we kind, of, we kind of, it's all about the here and now. How do I help you build your better life? How do you, I help you with all this stuff? And sometimes we miss the fact that, yes, there is a spiritual aspect of it. There is, there is um, uh, a world that, uh, that, that, that God uh, puts a greater emphasis on than even the here and now that you and I are in. But it seems reasonable that even nominal Christians would recognize the difference between humanistic philosophy and biblical principles. It just seems reasonable, right? Uh, but we're going to see that, uh, that this really requires a healthy measure of biblical discernment, staying true to the Word of God, uh, godly, dis- uh, godly wisdom, and um, you know, pro- possibly the most profound of humanism's subtleties is uh, deceiving even Christians when it, with its claim to benefit mankind. Because when you think about this, this is for the betterment of our fellow man. This is for, you know, I mentioned this idea of tolerance and acceptance. Well, those are good virtues, are they not? This is for the betterment of society and mankind. And that's one of the lies that is, that is shared. So God, God's given a warning. We saw in our text there in Colossians. He says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. See, believers who are not built up, rooted and built up in Christ, who are not established in the faith, they become susceptible to, uh, to, to this deadly humanistic philosophy. Because what humanism does is it sets up man as the authority. One person defined it this way, humanism teaches that the end of all being is the happiness of man. My ultimate and uh, goal is the happiness of man. And think about it, the Bible talks about the works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit, right? Well, what does the flesh do? The flesh is all about my own pleasure, my own happiness. It's ultimate, uh, a lifestyle of hedonism. I'm living for my own pleasure. That's really the end all. That's what it comes down to. And, uh, and so what is humanism? Humanism is that idea that, that, listen, everything in life. So you talk to Christian parents. And Christian parents, think about this. This happens. They discourage their children from serving God because they want them to have a better future. Let me ask you, what is the greatest thing you can give yourself for? You see what I'm saying? And so, so well, you know, I don't want you to be a poor begging preacher the rest of your life. I want you to have a plan. I want you to... Now, you can serve God kind of on the side, but, but have a plan. By the way, I'm not diminishing any profession out there. Uh, we, need, we need good, godly Christians uh, throughout, throughout our community, throughout our society. And by the way, uh, 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 even just the fact of getting, you know, keeping things going, the lights on and everything, we need people to have jobs so they can give um, uh, in a very practical sense. But the reality is every one of us are a missionary where we are planted, Right? And, uh, and God wants us to be Christians everywhere we're at. But, uh, but, but if we're not careful, I've known people that have been discouraged. God was burdening them for the mission field. And their parents said, no, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to take my grandkids there. I don't, and, 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 and what are we doing? We're, we're saying that's a lesser thing. Why? Because, well, I want you to have a 401K. I want you to have retirement. I want you to have 
You see, you see what I'm saying? And, and what have we done? We've fallen into this humanistic philosophy that the end of all being is my own happiness. Compare that to, uh, um, uh, Brother Mauer, you, you might, I'm trying to remember the story. You, you might be more familiar with this. The story of those missionaries that sold themselves into slavery to go reach those slaves on that island. You know, you know what I'm talking about? There's a specific group. I'm trying to remember what they were, uh, uh, um, but they're the ones that, uh, that, that said this statement as they were sailing away, saying goodbye to their loved ones, knowing they'll never see them again. Uh, this, this, this slave owner on this island said, I don't want any missionary to come here. I don't want anyone, you know, and so the only way they could get to this island is if they sold themselves. The guy wouldn't even pay for their passage. So they had to sell themselves, and the money they got from selling themselves into slavery, they paid for their passage to go. And as they waved goodbye to their loved ones, knowing they'll never see them again, they hollered back to them at the shore. They said, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that was the heartbeat of these men as they, as they uh, went away, knowing they'll never see anybody again. Folks, we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven and we see who God elevates and who God calls our attention to. When we think about sacrifice, when we think about living for the Lord, by the way, God's not necessarily requiring all that of us, but how easy we start to fall into things and the here and now and, and, and all, these, all these things that are, that are pulling on us. Folks, this life, what, how's it James said it? What is your life? It is even what? A vapor. Appears for a little while and vanishes away. All right? Have you, um, uh, brother, uh, you're new to, to he's dozing on me here already. You're, you're new to, uh, to Alaska, right? Once it hits 35 to 40 below, boil some water and go outside, take a cup of boiling water and throw it in the air. It's the funnest experiment, right? But make sure no one's behind you. Sorry, Carrie. I, I burned her pretty good one year. Um, <laughs> got on video, too. Anyways, uh, but, uh, but, but it creates this cloud, right? The, the cup of coffee will just, just become a cloud in the air. But watch this now. It appears for a little while, and then it's gone. And that's how God describes our life. It is even a vapor. Appears for a little while to match the way. Now, what's amazing is this. This life, we can go down to a cemetery and just look at your average tombstone, right? You have a date. What does the first date represent? When you're born. What's the last date represent? Death. And your whole life is represented by a little dash. Your whole life, just like that. But think about this now. This life is all you and I get to honor God to glorify Him, and then eternity, then the reward. But what's interesting is we put so much stock into this life right here and now and not realizing this life really is not even reality. Because what we have to look forward to, what does the Bible call it? Eternal life, everlasting life. It's going to go on for a while. And everything that takes place in this life has an impact on that life. I want to be careful when we talk about this stuff. I, I, uh, I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm emphatically clear that we are not saved by any works. We are saved by grace through faith. But here's what's rarely preached in pulpits today. There is a reward system in heaven. Christ gives me entrance to heaven. Amen? But there is a reward system in heaven. We call it the Bema Seat Judgment or the Judgment Seat of Christ. 
And we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to uh, receive rewards or lack of rewards for the things we've done in the flesh, whether they glorify God or not. And that has an impact. So the Bible says this, start for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's a very interesting phrase. Now, I don't understand how the whole thing works. God gives us some indicators, but he does not really unpack this thing thoroughly. I, I read these passages and say, God, I've got some questions. He says, I've given you what I've given you, okay? I don't know how it works. But I do know the things I do in this life have an impact on that life. And it's interesting, the things that we will take with us. You know, you, you hear the cliche, you know, I've never seen a... Uh, uh, a U-Haul van behind a hearse, all right? Well, one time I did see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer, and I thought it was the funniest thing, and I took a picture of it. <laughs> what? He's probably moving the office or something. He's probably moving his location, you know. <laughs> I doubt it was, you know. But, but, uh, but you see what I'm saying? Remember the, the pharaohs of old, right? They would bury all their, all their stuff with them, and all these years later, we're excavating it. What did we find? The gold's still here, but the pharaoh's not. That's right, yeah. You see what I'm saying? But you know what we do take with us? The things we've done to the glory of God. We take souls with us. We take treasure that we've cast, uh, uh, or that we spent for the work of God. We take these things with us. And, and so what I'm saying is, is humanism begins to attack uh, the very core of what God has called us to do. It's, it's one of the great distractions of the devil. No wonder uh, we're, we're admonishing Ephesians 5, redeeming the time. Why? The days are evil. That we, we must be, we must be uh, taking very care uh, of this time that we have. One of the great, uh, great tools I believe the devil uses against us is, to, is causing Christians just to waste time. Have you noticed the emphasis on entertainment? In fact... Uh, what can be a great tool, but also a great time waster? These little devices. Think about the victories the devil's won with these stupid things. Christians. And, and I'm not even saying necessarily falling into sin. Yeah, there's a lot of potential for sin. I'm just saying wasting time. I mean, how many times can you play Angry Birds anyway? Dating myself, right? I don't even know what the newest apps are. But believers who are not built up and rooted in Christ, not established in the faith, they become uh, susceptible to, to this philosophy. So when Paul was speaking to these believers here at Colossians, uh, at Colossae, he was speaking to those who had already received Christ as, as the Lord. These were believers. These were Christians. And, uh, and what was happening is there was a rise of a mentality of philosophy that was... That was uh, uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was this philosophy that would blend sort of the new revelations of Christianity along with Judaism and, uh, and pseudo-intellectualism that was called Gnosticism. And it would kind of compile this all together and give you sort of a new blend of, of a belief system, and, and they thought they had some kind of enlightened thing. That's what the believers here at Colossians were dealing with. And uh, uh, the believers, uh, the Colossian believers, and uh, and Paul was very, uh, very uh, pointed when he talked about this. He says, "Guys, your faith must be founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ." And so we have to learn to walk in Christ. Uh, uh, in our in our text, there, look at verse six. It says, "As you have therefore received Christ." The the phrase there, "as," carries the, uh, it carries the idea that in the same way, in the same way that you received Christ. 
Now, let me ask you, how did you receive Christ? Did you receive Christ from going through some kind of ritual? Did you receive Christ from getting dunked under the water? How did you receive Christ? By faith. We simply received him by faith. So as you have, uh, it says, as you have, therefore, received Christ Jesus the Lord, so, in the same manner, so, walk in him. So in other words, this, this life is a life of faith. We get saved by faith, but we are to walk by faith as well. We are to walk in him as we develop this, uh, this Christian life. Now that is the precursor, that is the, the prelude right here to, to Paul speaking about not falling into these vain philosophies. And, uh, and uh, you know, simply placing faith in the clear claims of Scripture. So just as you've received the gospel, I believe this to be true, when we look to the Word of God, we also take that as true as well. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my Word, then are my disciples indeed. And you should know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, so here's the idea. By the way, do you have to know the whole Bible to be saved? No. But it's a very interesting phrase. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. In other words, you've so settled in your mind that as I come across, sometimes I'll come across a crossroads in Scripture where I'm challenged with my own thinking, and uh, I have to predetermine, you know what? I am convinced, uh, it's a conviction in my life, that God's word is true. So when I come to those crossroads, what am I doing? I'm going with God on this one. Sometimes it's a little difficult. Sometimes it goes against my flesh. But I have to say, I'm going with God on this one. And so that's, that's where you and I have to get to. So in the same way I've received the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, I must receive the word of God and allow God to engraft it into me. So the scripture says here, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. By the way, you want to know how you abound in the Lord, abound in the word of God? It's got to be with thanksgiving. You've got to recognize what God is doing. You've got to glorify him in that process. So when we think about this, it says, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy. It's all about what or whom you love. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit. You know, the devil does not want you to receive Christ, and he certainly does not want you to emulate Christ. He does not want you to start behaving like a Christian. He wants to deceive you, so he's devised this philosophy undermining the work of Christ. And, he's, and, he, and, he, and he wants us to buy into it, and it sounds really good. Many times it's framed in such a way that sounds so, uh, it makes sense. Why? Because it's humanism. It appeals to our flesh. So the word philosophy uh, literally means the love of wisdom. The love of wisdom. At the core, humanism is an appeal to human reasoning and intellect. We, we believers understand that true wisdom is really only available through a healthy fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, the Lord Jesus Christ is the very personification of wisdom. As we learn Him, as we dive into Scriptures, it's amazing. We, uh, one of my favorite uh, Psalms, um, the largest uh, chapter of the entire Bible, Psalm 119. And it's all linked to our relationship to the Word of God. And what's interesting, there's some, some verses in there. One of them, I love it, is through thy word, through thy precepts, you've made, or wa- made me wiser than my enemies. You've made me wiser than all my instructors, all my teachers. 
There's phrases like that scattered all throughout, and it's amazing the wisdom that comes from having a healthy relationship to the Word of God. I've known of people that had a very low education, that just spent all their time, and everything they know just came from the Bible and the great wisdom that they had. How many of you have heard the name A.W. Tozer? Did you know he was a fifth-grade dropout? Dr. Tozer, honorary doctorate, fifth-grade dropout. But he fell in love with the Bible, and he fell in love with reading what others said about the Bible. And he committed himself to learning. He was a self-educated man, a brilliant mind, really, fifth-grade education. It's amazing the wisdom that is pulled from studying God's Word. And, uh, and I can tell you all kinds of stories like that. But, uh, um, but, uh, but, but what this philosophy, this humanist philosophy does, is it elevates man's wisdom, human reasoning, human thinking above anything else. And so uh, there is a thief in our midst when we consider this thing of humanism. Humanism can literally steal from us. Notice what it says there. It says, uh, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Sometimes when you read that, we might think of it in a way that uh, you, might, you might hear somebody accuse their grandparents of spoiling your children. This is actually a different word that's used here when we consider spoil. These are like the spoils of war. When you've conquered somebody, you now can take their things, take their stuff. And here's what it's saying. You, will be, you can be conquered, and your things, you're, you're, you're being stolen from as a spoil of this battle, of this war. Beware lest any man spoil you, make spoil of you through how? What's the battle? Philosophy. Vain deceit. And so here's the thief. Here's the attack. It's an attack on the mind. This, it's, a, it's really a cheap alternative. It offers an exchange for biblical principle upon which we should build our lives, uh, but will never offer peace. And, and it, it, will, it will attack many of these things. Paul further warns, he says, uh, uh, not only just philosophy, but the traditions of men. The philosophy will not, uh, uh, not only seep into our, uh, or into our belief system, but it's going to transfer from one generation to another, and it starts to erode. And we even see that in, our, in the day and age we live in, right? We see it in the social realm. We see it in the political realm. We see it in churches, how we're slipping little generation by generation by generation. Did you know that liberals of 50 years ago are much more conservative than conservatives of today? Where had that happen? Little by little, just eroding generation after generation, because we'll always push the envelope. By the way, that's something you ought to mark down as a parent. Keep in mind, your children will always take things further than you take them. If you get slack in a certain area, if you kind of start making some compromises, your children are not going to surpass your standards. So it's always a challenge. We ought to keep those standards high. God warns us that... uh, that the word of God itself can be neutralized by opposing philosophies. In Mark 7, 13, it says, Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have, de- uh, which you have delivered, and uh, many such like things uh, do ye. Here's what Jesus warned. He said, he said, because of tradition, because of the way you've held on to these philosophies, you're actually making the word of God of none effect. You ever, uh, you ever heard stories about preachers' kids, missionaries' kids? who had nothing to do with God. Something came in here that made the Word of God of none effect in their life. Now, do we believe the Word of God is powerful? Absolutely. But there are things that you and I can allow in that will neutralize the power of the Word of God in our lives. That's a sobering thought. 
That's what Jesus was warning. He said, because of your traditions, you've made the word of God of none effect in your lives. So a couple of things I want to address when we consider this. I'm taking longer in my intro than I wanted to. That's par for the course, right? Humanistic philosophy is after the rudiments of this world and not after Christ, as we're warned here. After the rudiments of this world, not after Christ. This is what Paul's warning about, and it was, uh, it was um, uh, it, it's just, you know, when it says the rudiments, it, it, it's exactly that. It's rudimentary or elementary level. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, a, at a very basic level, it is denying the faith, um, uh, the, the faith that, in, that Jesus Christ teaches. Secular humanism is such a philosophy that deceives, it's one that uh, deceitfully appeals especially to intellectuals. It is a setting man up as authority. It's allowing me, basically, here's the concept, and it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, by the way. The very first sin that entered into the world was really humanistic philosophy. What was it the devil said to Eve? Well, God knows in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be open, and you shall be as gods. Isn't that not what humanism teaches now, they may not say it that way or frame it that way, but that's it. I am God of my own universe, of my own world. Think about it. We have no absolutes today. There is no, there is no absolute standard for morality. Uh, everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. You say, well, who are you to tell me that my way of thinking is wrong? Who are you to try to impose that on me? That is the crux of it. So humanism, there's a few things... Um, I'm not going to go through the, the whole humanistic manifesto, but in the, in the Humanist Manifesto, which is a document compro, uh, composed in 1933 by prominent humanisms, um, it states a few things. And one of the things it says, it says the, uh, the importance of the document is that more than 30 men have come to general agreement on matters of final concern and that these men are undoubtedly representatives of a large number who are forging a new philosophy out of the materials of the modern world. The writers of the Humanist Manifesto d- devised 15 affirmations, now, I'll just look at a couple of them tonight, but the very first affirmation on the humanist, uh, of humanism states that religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. That's the very first thing on the list. It's self-existing and not created. You know what they're going to? They're going back to the beginning. How many of you are familiar with Ken Ham's ministry, uh, Answers in Genesis? Okay. He contests that there's a war against Genesis 1 through 11. And if, if, if we can disprove or get you to question or doubt Genesis 1 through 11, the rest of the Bible can go out the window. By the way, I've seen it. My own uncle went down that path, who was the son of a missionary. And he came to the conclusion, you know what? I believe that uh, science has uh, disproven God and so surpassed things. Genesis is a bunch of fairy tales. That's where it started. He started buying that Genesis is fairy tales. By the way, he, he studied psychology in college. And before long, he writes a letter to the whole family. I want you guys to know I'm now an atheist. I'm not mad about it. I don't want to debate it. I just believe science has disproven God. To which I would say, now what science? Can we talk about this? Let's have a discussion about science. The Bible talks about science so-called. But, but that's where it comes down to. Religious humanists, it, it, the attack is on creation itself. Um, they begin where the Bible begins, creation. Only they, they adamantly and aggressively deny it. In short, they, they assert that there is no God, and even if God does exist, He certainly didn't create anything. And that's, that's, that's the crux of it. That's the beginning of it. 
uh, one of the for former president of the American Human Association, said, I certainly don't believe in, a, in the mythologies of our society, in heaven and hell and God and angels and Satan and demons. I've thought of myself as an atheist. But, the, uh, but that simply described, described what I didn't believe in, not what I did. Gradually, though, I became aware that there was a movement called humanism, which used, the name, uh, which used that name because, to put it most simply, humanists believe that human beings produce the progressive advance of human society and also the ills that plague it. They believe that if the ills are to be alleviated, it is, it is humanity that will have to do the job. They, dis, uh, they disbelieve in the influence of the supernatural on either good or the bad of society. So what he says is he dismisses God and he said everything is really up to man, the betterment or the degradation of, uh, of society. So the idea is that man is in control, period, end of story. Now here's the scary part. Traces of atheism exist in Christians today. And it's creeping into Christianity. You say, well, you know, what does this have to do with me? I believe in Christ. I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe the Bible to be true. That's why I attend church regularly. I, I fulfill, you know, I'm faithful. I do all these things. And, uh, you know, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Well, the influence of humanism in our society has much to do with us as Bible-believing Christians. And first and foremost, because it's, it's what's shaping our society. This is what's being taught in our schools. By the way, when they took God out of schools, I don't have time to go into a history lesson on the founding of public schools in America, but public schools in America were founded to counter the influx of Catholicism in America. During the, the potato famine and so forth from across the pond, uh, a bunch of uh, immigrants came over to America, and, uh, and with them a huge influx of the Catholic religion. Prior to that, uh, America was largely Protestant and Baptist. And so, uh, so, so this is going on, and what the Catholics did that is really quite brilliant. They had this mindset. If we can get the kids for 12 years, what? We'll have them for life. We'll have them for life. So what they started doing is offering free school, free schools in all these little communities. So the government, which was largely Protestant, said, you know, we need to counter this. Let's start government-funded Protestant schools. Now, they didn't call it a Protestant school. It was a, it was a public school. But all you had to do was go back to some of the first curriculum, and they, you know, they learn their ABCs. A is for Adam. In Adam, all fell. B is for believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. See, I mean, they had the gospel in the ABCs. That was in public schools. So fast forward just a little bit. When they took God out of public schools, because it was founded upon religion, you take one religion out, there's a void. Guess what? It's going to be filled with what? Religion. So what religion came in the void? Humanism. Humanism. Whose God is science, the worship of knowledge, and, uh, and, and, the, and the rest, as they say, is history. And the morality that comes along with it, with really reasoning God out of the picture. But you may say, you know, well, I see how it's affecting our society, and I don't believe that to be right. But does your life match that belief? For example, you may, you may, uh, you would never say that you deny the existence of God, practically speaking. But is God the central focus of your life? Am I yielding myself to His lordship in my life? I'm not talking about lordship salvation, but I'm just, I'm saying this for every believer. Their goal should be 
that God becomes Lord of every area of your life. That's called growth. And so, so the question is, you know, am I practically an atheist? Am I, the way I live, am I practically denying the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is he really consuming my life? Am I spending the time needed? Am I, am I cultivating that relationship with him? Am I allowing him to conform me to the image of, of Christ? Does God occupy the center of my life? And that's, that's really the challenging question. While humanist philosophy denies the existence of God, the Bible emphatically states, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. See, the most foolish statement a person can make is this, there is no God. Nature itself proclaims the existence of a creator. Atheistic claims not, uh, uh, um, everything man knows is, is from the inner resources of, the, of his heart, and, God, and that God does not exist. The Bible says in Romans uh, 1, 20-21, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, get this now, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were, was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. See, the reason man wants to remove God from his life is that man wants to be his own God. And if we're not careful, we do that as believers. Here's what we do as believers. Well, I've got liberty in Christ. Careful now. You know, it's an interesting statement the Bible makes um, before the book of Judges. Or is it the end of Judges? I think it's, it's uh, what's the book right before Judges? Maybe it's the beginning of Judges. Anyways, here's what it says. It says, and there was no king in Israel in those days. And every man did what? That which is right in his own eyes. And can I tell you that when there is no king, when God is not allowed to be king even in our lives, we start to do that which is right in our own eyes. And as soon as we try to have some sort of standard, as soon as we try to follow the Bible, those other believers that want to do what is right in their own eyes, what do they call us? Legalists. Isn't that a fun go-to word? Oh, you guys are just legalists. Intolerant. <laughs> yeah. How many of you believe that God did not just save you to give you fire insurance, but he really does want to accomplish something in your life. He has purposed to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And wants you, to, wants you to bring forth fruit and to glorify God in all things. So it goes all the way back to the beginning. You shall be as gods, as the devil told Eve. Please don't deny God's existence with your life. The second thing that the human, uh, humanist denies. Humanism denies the authority of God's word. So it denies the existence of God. There is no creator. There is no God. Secondly, it denies uh, the authority of God's word. The first five words of the Bible is, In the beginning God created. Uh, humanism denies the truth of the Bible. Uh, the Humanist Manifesto's fifth affirmation says that humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes, uh, makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human values. The Bible says that God created the world and man with it. Humanism says nonsense. says that's not what happened. By denying the supernatural guarantees of human values, the humanist effectively denies the absolute revelation of God to man. 
that God had, uh, had put us here and that God created us and God has revealed himself to us. You know the Bible is a book of absolutes. Today, science so-called says, says, well, there are no absolutes, which sounds like an absolute statement, does it not? All right. So to that, we say, are you absolutely sure that there are no absolutes? And then their mind goes, <laughs> what do you think of that? Because that sounds like a very absolute statement. But the Bible is full of absolutes. The thing about the inspiration of scriptures, we talked about this a bit. Uh, God, the... Uh, um, I think about Psalm 12, uh, verse 6. Every word of God is pure. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not... Uh, 12, 6 says, says uh, God's word. Uh, they're pure words. A silver tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 160. Thy word is true from the beginning. The word of God, Hebrews 4, uh, 4 12, is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. The word of God must be the center focus for a believer's life. And the word of God teaches us uh, how to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it reveals God to us. It shows us the way to him. And uh, I think about even what, uh, what Jesus said in John 17. He says, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. The words of the Lord are pure words. The humanist uh, has great animosity towards the word of God. Um, in fact, they're an all-out all attack on the word of God. They're set on discrediting and trying to raise skepticism in the Word of God. Now you say, well, how does this, how does this affect... Um, uh, uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. You know, you ever seen a, a, a secular documentary on biblical things? On the History Channel or something like that? It's amazing how they try to, they try to bring logic and reason to these miracles. By the way, what's the definition of a miracle? Miraculous, supernatural, right? It defies uh, laws of physics for sure, right? That's what makes it a miracle, right? Um, now, my wife has called me a miracle worker when I do things around the house, but, but that's not really a miracle, okay? Um, <laughs> but God does miracles. And, uh, and so what they'll say is, well, the children of Israel, you see, there was a mistranslation. They didn't actually cross the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea, which is just a small, you know, shallow little area of water, which to me brings about a much bigger miracle because... That means that the Pharaoh's army drowned in a puddle of water. Okay? No, no, it was the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry ground. All right? And they tried to reason through all these different things and, and uh, uh, you know, trying to, to rationalize through it. Why? Because their mind, their thinking, their science is supreme. Um, and really, it comes down to this. They're afraid. They don't want to be accountable to a creator God. That's really the end all of it. But if we're not careful, we become humanists with the way we approach the scriptures. One of the reasons I become so critical of, of seminaries is because many seminaries have become humanists in their approach to the Bible itself. There are, there are young people that go into these seminaries super excited to serve God with their life and everything, and they start going through these theology classes, and, and, and the professors spend all their time Get, trying to get them to question the validity of the Word of God. Well, you know, a better rendering of this passage would be, and we really don't know what the Bible says. We really don't. And, and all of a sudden, we're attacking the, uh, the, the authenticity of Scripture, the preservation of Scripture. We're attacking these foundational doctrines. So by the time they're done, they walk out having no clue what they believe, and their head is spinning. And, they, and, they, and what happens? We've, we've, we've brought humanism into the thing. But, you know, if we're not careful as Christians, we become humanists. We'll stand, we'll say, you know, I believe the Bible is true. Okay, do we spend time in it? 
I believe every word of God is true. Do we, do we, do we carefully study it? The Bible tells us in, in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself to prove unto God a workman, which means it takes work to study the Scriptures, a workman um, uh, that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. James 1.22 says, be, be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. We fall into self-deception when we, when we maybe learn something from the word of God, but we're not applying it, and we become humanist in our approach to the Scriptures. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word of a hidden mine heart that might not sin against thee. You know, strange, the average humanist the average, uh, and the average Christian agree with the, the, the word of God doesn't matter. The former denies the, uh, what the Bible says and how he lives. The latter denies the Bible in uh, how he lives in spite of what it says. Titus 1.16 says this, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. Think about that. They profess to know God, but in works, they simply deny Him. They've not allowed the Word of God to, 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 to work into their hearts. So the humanist, there is no God, he declares. He says the Bible is not true. Man is, a, is, is, is the, 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 the peak, the apex of evolution. And there is no God. We don't need God. Humanism denies the image of God in man. So humanism denies that there is a God, denies the, authentic, the, the authority of the Word of God, denies the image of God in man. Humanism believes that uh, man is part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of the continuous process. In short, he believes in evolution. And, uh, boy, I love the topic of evolution. Did you know studying evolution made me such a stronger believer? You'd say, wait a minute, shouldn't that rob you of your faith? (laughs) No, when you start realizing all the holes in it. It's amazing how two people with two different worldviews can look at the same evidence and come away with two completely different conclusions. I love the analogy that, uh, that Kent Hovind gives. <laughs> it's, uh, he says he's got these fr- this frog, and he's measuring how far this frog jumps. And he says, jump, frog, jump. And he takes a leap. The first one was, you know, three feet. And then he takes that frog, and he cuts off a leg. And he says, jump, frog, jump. And the next time, a foot and a half. He takes the frog back, cuts off another leg. He says, jump, frog, jump, and he goes about a foot. He cuts off another leg, goes about six inches. And then he cuts off the last leg and says, jump, frog, jump, and the frog doesn't jump. He says, jump, frog, jump, and the frog doesn't jump. Conclusion, when a frog loses all his legs, it becomes deaf. <laughs> now, we can have a pretty good analysis of the data that we have, but come to completely erroneous conclusions if we're not careful. And it's amazing because they've already ruled out God as a factor. By the way, here's what the evolutionist will not tell you. He will not tell you, or he will not admit to, the fact that his takes faith too. They're both faith, folks. They're both faith-based. The only only difference is we're willing to admit it. But we have a pretty credible eyewitness who gave us a book. And he told us, in the beginning, God. He didn't go and try to prove himself. He's the, he's the, the, he is the, the, there's a, there's a uh, presumed aspect that even nature itself declares that there is a God. You don't have to go prove that thing. That's why there's not a place on the planet that you can go where there's not some sort of, there's a deity out there. There's some kind of, some kind of thing out there. Why? Because nature itself shows you that. It takes the revelation of the word of God to say which deity it is. But nature itself says there's a God. 
but it denies uh, the image of God in man. Romans 3, verse uh, 10 to 12, as is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Romans 3, 23, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible's going to tell you. But do you know what the humanists will say? Look how good man is. Look how much better man is getting. We're getting bigger and stronger. I remember when I started reading the Bible for myself, and talking with other, other uh, kind of pseudo-Christians, you know, uh, uh, you should be so negative about things. We're getting better, and we're advancing, and we're achieving. I'm starting to realize, no, the Bible says we're pretty much reprobate. <laughs> How desperately we need Christ. I saw a, a mug for sale, an ad came across on Facebook, and I was like, oh, I really should get this. And it showed a picture of Santa Claus, and it says, uh, it says you've all been bad, and it says Romans 3, you know, <laughs> you've all been bad. <laughs> yes, we're all naughty. We need a Savior, amen? So the question is, is man inherently good or bad? We have fallen short. Created in the image of God, mankind sinned, and the image of God has been marred. And uh, we spent some time going through that in the past, and uh, uh, and, of course, when you get saved, God has, has predetermined, has an end for you in mind, Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is the purpose that God has for us in our lives. And ultimately, it's going to uh, have its full culmination in, in, the, in the salvation, if you would, of the body. In 1 John 3, 2, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Yes, at the end, uh, uh, God's going to restore everything as, it, as, as he desired it and as he wants it. But let me just tell you this, that because of sin because uh, uh, you know we are fallen we are marred and so here's what the humanist says well so what is sin 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 is this arbitrary thing it's a made up thing no, no no sin is the transgression of god's law sin is violating god's very nature and his character for all have sinned and what come short of the glory of god you want a definition for sin let's use that one to which we're all in trouble why we need a savior humanism denies the existence of the soul by the way, it's becoming clear that uh, humanism says man is great. The Bible says that man has problems, the only solution is Jesus Christ. Humanism denies the existence of God, the authority of God's word, the image of God in man. Humanism deny, denies the existence of the soul altogether. Here's, uh, here's what the Humanist Manifesto says. Holding our organic view of life, humanists find that the traditional dualism of mind and body must be rejected. Simply put, the humanist is saying that the only way... Um, that, uh, excuse me, um, the only you that is you is the body that you tote around. The, the, this, this physical body that you're in, that's the only real you. Now think about that. If that is the way you think, then what is your purpose for living? Think about this now. If the only real you is material, material you, what is your purpose for living? It's a really simple answer. You. Pleasure keeping you alive and happy, right? Because let's eat, drink, and remarry. Why? Tomorrow we die. There's no hereafter. There's no, there's no uh, life after death. Is this life all there is is what it comes down to? We are, uh, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5 eight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The Bible teaches that it is possible for you to be somewhere outside of your body. In fact, the Word of God teaches that the body is merely the housing of the real you. The real you, who you are, is, is that inside. Um, Paul said this, he says, For I am in a strict betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with you, 
uh, excuse me, and to be with Christ, is, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So in other words, there's a way to abide outside the flesh, but then there's a way to abide in the flesh, and that was, that's being here right now. Did you know when somebody dies, their body falls to the ground, but they themselves aren't there anymore, right? If we had a, had a funeral, maybe we had an open casket funeral, and we're, and we're looking, that's just the shell. The real him is not there anymore. So we might say terms like this, they have departed. And by the way, which is why for believers, it really is a celebration because he's finally whole. For a lost person, the Bible talks about they that sorrow is those that have no hope. But obviously this life is not all that there is. There is a heaven, there is a hell because the soul exists outside the body. So it's when you think about these philosophies that are creeping in and these philosophies that are challenging us, Christians are falling into this because they're living for pleasure, they're living for the here and now, and it's allowing them to kind of change and challenge the way that, uh, that the Word of God is pre- presents truth. Is God's Word true? Or is it just an archaic book and we must approach it as, as allegories? You know? Well, you know, I understand God kind of you know, laid these things out, but... But, uh, you know, in the day that it was written, these kind of things made sense. But society is so advanced beyond there. Let me ask you this. Has society gotten better apart from God? I'll reason to say that the more Christian a society, really the better it is. Humanists set out to say they want to advance. um, um, uh, Well, let let me, I'll get to that in a second. When we think about this, here's what they say. There's no absolutes. There's no God. There's no soul. What kind of society is this philosophy producing? It produces one in love with itself. One that chases pleasure and, and their own personal happiness and so forth. The Bible tells us, Jesus' solution, that I am the way, the truth, and life. No man can to the Father but by me, John 14, 6. Humanist says, have confidence in yourself, self-sufficiency, love yourself, self-esteem, live for yourself, self-indulgence. The Bible says, trust in Jesus. The self will fail you. Humanism denies the need for religion. This is the last thing I want to point out. Humanism denies the need for religion. With no God, no Bible, no soul, no need for religion remains. The humanist's own manifesto boldly proclaims this. We are convinced that the time has passed for theism, deism, uh, modernism, and several varieties of new thought. In short, the humanists oppose religion existing in any way, uh, uh, shape, or form. Further, they said, in the place of the old attitude involved in worship and prayer, the humanist finds his religious emotions expressed in a heightened sense of personal life and in cooperative effort to promote social well-being. Think about this. The God-denying humanism, humanist, takes the higher ground of social well-being or well-doing. In other words, they want to improve society and, uh, and so forth. But let me ask you this. Show me what humanist, humanism has done for mankind. It's done nothing except give a man an inflated view of himself. Humanistic and evolutionary thought has given legitimacy to abortion, to euthanasia, to, by devaluing human life as merely organic, right? Putting down grandpa is no different than putting down the horse because there's really no value, intrinsic value to human life. In fact, Hitler embraced the tenets of humanism uh, and uh, in endeavoring to produce a master race. 
animal instincts, including the, the baser sins of lust and violence as justified uh, and glorified in entertainment of our society, largely destitute of any absolute standard for right and wrong, and the list goes on. Do humanists really help society in the long run? What is it doing to our children? By the way, what happens if you teach children from a young age that they're nothing more than animals? They act like animals. And boy, is that what we see going on. But if you've been taught, you've been made in the image of God with a divine purpose, that changes things. So what is God's plan? Jesus said himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Bible says that the church is the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth, 1 Timothy 3.15. The church is the place where we gather together uh, around which we can center our lives. Religion has become a term that's sort of been, um, uh, had a negative connotation in these days because obviously religion does not save us. But when we consider religion, how religious we are in pursuing Him, the Bible talks about a pure religion. It's exercise in our service for Jesus and the ministry of the local church. Religion is, is, is incredibly much more valuable. You think about all throughout this world, the, the impact that biblical Christianity has had on the world in the salvation of people, and the establishment, you know, even in a humanitarian aspect of, of going to places with medical missions and being a help and, uh, and help, uh, helping people to move on and to, to advance. You try to compare that to the humanistic philosophies of even many of these other religions around the world that are tearing things down, that are, that are taking away, the value, devaluing women, for example, and and devaluing uh, um, uh, other things. Uh, and I don't have time to really unpack and go into all that. But what I'm saying is humanism, though it tries to take the moral high ground, uh, really is bankrupt of morality because it's set up man as God. Humanism seeks to erode the very foundation of a Christian belief. Teaching in Colossians 2.8, after the rudiments of this world and not after Christ. And folks, here's the challenge that we have to realize, we have to catch ourselves every time humanism tries to creep in in our thinking, in our approach to Scripture, uh, when we think about uh, some of these social issues that, got, that are really actually more morality issues before they became social issues or political issues, and we have to say, am I, am I allowing humanism to creep in? Let me give you an example where humanism crept in. Well, you know, I used to be, I used to be a pro-lifer, meaning... I don't agree with abortion in any instance. But then I had a family member, and it was a really tough situation. Here's what the situation was. And what's happened? I've now slipped into humanism. I used to believe that, uh, that uh, a homosexual relationship was a sin until my best friend came out of the closet and said that he was a homosexual. And, you know, I really think that you know, he should be happy too. And, and you know, I should not keep him from, from, from being married and all that. You see what I'm saying? We start. And humanists will, will undoubtedly, inevitably, bring about some kind of emotional argument like that attached to something. Now, listen, I'm not for making someone feel bad. I'm not for, you know, uh, bringing somebody down or anything like that. But, but it's amazing how we start to change our own thinking because of culture, because of things around us, because of, you know, all these different things. So you have to challenge yourself when they creep in. How many of you are familiar with, uh, with the sermon? There's an old sermon by Paris Reedhead called uh, Ten Shekels in a Shirt. I know you've heard it. Great sermon. If you guys you ought to look it up, Ten Shekels in a Shirt. And he, he kind of dives into this concept of how we've allowed humanism to creep in, even with the way we present the gospel. 
And folks, we become so susceptible to it. But how is it that there are churches in our very community that actually will deny this book? And yet they call themselves the church that follows Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Well, humanism. So this whole thing becomes an allegory. And if we open it at all, we're going to kind of twist the words and twist what it says. And so when we approach a lot of these issues, we really have to ask ourselves, am I, am I emotionally attached to this thing? Or am I, am I thinking biblically or am I thinking humanistically? Because, because I'm chasing, pursuing happiness or pursuing uh, the material world and not Christ. And so when we, when we approach a lot of these issues, we really got to challenge ourselves in this thing. That, uh, you know, again, that, that uh, you know, I, I, I need to make sure that I'm yielded my thinking is in line with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, hope that was a help tonight. Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, 